Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Rodina Osban, here with my friend, Chabruta Ann Gordon. Our DAP today, Masachat Beitza, DAP Yudzayin, page 17. So even though we're in the middle of our discussion on Erev Tavshilin, the Gemara takes a little bit of a sidetrack to discuss davening of a Yom Tov that falls out on Shabbat. Tana Rabbanan, Yom Tov Shachal Yom Shabbat, Echam Ayamrim Yitzpalel Shmona, Ve'omer Shel Shabbat Bifnei Atzma, Ve'shel Yom Tov Bifnei Atzma. So the question is, what is the Shemona Esrei, or the Amidah prayer that you say on a Yom Tov that falls on Shabbat? And Beit Shammai offers that you're going to end up saying eight brachot, the three standard brachot we say at the beginning, the three standard brachot that we say at the end, and then you'll make a separate bracha for Shabbat and a separate bracha for Yom Tov. But the idea is each one should be said by itself. Beit Hillel says, no, you're going to say seven, the standard three at the beginning, the standard three at the end. And then you'll say a combined one that starts with Shabbat and ends with Shabbat. And then Kedushat Hayom will be in the middle somewhere. Rabbi, Rabbi Omer, Rabbi Huda Nasi says, So he said, no, you actually end it ordering Shabbat, Yisrael, and Zmanim. So you don't start with Shabbat and end with Shabbat. So, you know, so that the, now the Gemara goes on to that a Tana taught a brace before Ravina. So again, using this formulation of Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, that the that it's who sanctifies the Jewish people, Shabbat and the season. Sorry, excuse me. This is a different formulation of Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, right? He's saying Mikadesh Yisrael v'Shabbat v'Hazmanim. Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi's was and he says, So the question here is, how can you say that the Jewish people sanctify Shabbat? This is Rabina's question, right? Isn't Shabbat, right? Isn't Shabbat already sanctified? In other words, one of the things that's very key and different between Yom Tov and Shabbat, Shabbat is always, the seventh day is already, is already sanctified. But the Chagim, and this is why we always say Mikadesh Yisrael, the Hazmanim, it's based on the calendar. We'll learn much more about this when we get to Masachat Rosh Hashanah. And the calendar is set by us. So we are basically Mikadesh. We declare by how we set the calendar each month how the holiday is going to fall out. So we really bring the Kedusha to it. But that's not the case with Shabbat. Ella Amai, rather, this is how it should read, right? Mikadesh HaShabbat Yisrael, the Hazmanim. So in other words, it should say, what? Who sanctifies Shabbat, right? Because God sanctifies Shabbat. Yisrael Nizmanim. Amar Rav Yosef, halacha karabi v'chi taritz ravina. So Rav Yosef said, yeah, the halacha is according to Rav Yehuda Hanasi, right? So that was Ravina's point. He didn't like the formulation that this person, this time, you know, this person said when he related this price, uh, recited this price. And instead he learns it out that actually Rav Yehuda Hanasi's formulation is correct. And Rav Yosef comes and affirms this as well. And this is how, you know, the difficulty for Ravina is resolved by using Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi's formulation. Then the Gemara goes on, Tanu Rabbanan, another brisa, Shabbat Shachalio Rosh Chodesh O Shomoe. So now we have the case where Shabbos falls out in Rosh Chodesh, like we have Rosh Chodesh Shabbos, or in Cholomoe. Arviv Shacharinu Mincha Mitpalel Shabbat. So Arviv Shacharinu Mincha, you're going to have seven brachot. 
right? And you're going to say there um, the, uh, you're going to say the, uh, the thing that literally means pertains to the event, right? Uh, of the, of the Avoda. And so what we're talking about here is Yala V'yavo. V'im lo amar, and let's say you didn't say it, Machzirinoto. You actually have to go back and repeat it again. Rabbi Eliezer Mer, Rabbi Eliezer says this passage, right, of, La, of Yala V'yavo is actually said in Hoda, in the Hoda section, in the Thanksgiving section, right, of Motim. And when we say, and the additional prayer, right? When you say Musaf, right? You're going to start with Shabbat and conclude with Shabbat. And you're going to talk about the, the sanctity of the day, the Kedushah Yom, which is Rosh Chodesh, or the festival um, in, in the middle of the day. So we basically, and then, you know, so basically what we have here is a series of, you know, sort of halachot teaching us how do we actually change the liturgy? And again, as you always say, and it's interesting to see them sort of like sussing it out, right? Like the fact that there was a Bryce that taught one thing and Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi taught something else. It shows this stuff was not entirely set down yet. And then finally, the Gemara concludes here with a little bit of, with one other statement. Right? So Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel and Rabbi Shmuel, his son, right, said in the name of Rabbi, you know, the son of Rabbi Yochanan ben Broka, right? Wherever somebody has to say seven blessings, meaning whether it's, you know, for for Arvi, Shachrit, or Mincha, you begin that fourth blessing, right? With Shabbat and you end with Shabbat, the Omer Kshad Hayom Ba'emsa, and you you the sanctity of the day that it's 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 Rosh Chodesh is mentioned in the middle. Amar Rav Huna ain halacha hazu, but Rav Huna says it says the halacha is not like this pair of scholars, and rather it's like that previous Tanu said that evening, morning, and in the afternoon you're going to say the regular seven blessings, right, and then you're just going to like add another Yala Biyavo which has something to do with the temple service, which is basically, you know, uh, which is, you know, what we do today, right? Like you're just going to say, right, the tefillah of Shabbat, and then you're going to add like a regular temple service. The musaf you say might be different, but but that's that's what you're going to do. And so again, what we're seeing here is sort of this sussing out or this laying down of these variety of halachot. And we see that it was a little bit up for debate. It wasn't completely set how to do it. So I think that, <clears throat> excuse me, I think that there's a few important points to pull out of this. One is that the Gemara is functioning with great fluency about the tefillot of the day. And I feel like, you know, sometimes you have to sit down with a sitter or a machzer, as the case may be, right? And and follow along what exactly is happening. And then you can see who, you know, the psak of what we do, right, in terms of Yisrael, Vazmanim, that's that's what we end with. Rebiuda Nasi's formulation is the one that we set, as opposed to Beit and Beit Shammai. But but my point is just that I you know, when you're steeped in the davening, it becomes, you know, second nature to talk about it this way, as I think Chazal were. I think that if you're not steeped in the davening or if you're looking forward to the end of that's coming as opposed to having just gone through it, then I think it helps sometimes just to sit down with it and, and trace it through. The other thing I want to say is just that this formulation, the one that we actually have, I find to be a very powerful testimony to this idea that 
we, B'nai Israel, are partners together with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, with God, in creating the calendar, and creating the year, and creating the Jewish life, right? Because God created the calendar and gave it to us to implement. And so that's exactly what that bracha says, right? That it first falls to the people to then sanctify these times, as compared to Shabbat, which is simply, you know, every seven days since the creation of the world. Um, okay. I want to take this to, towards the end of Amadalev, we're going back to the Erev Tavshilin. Don't, you know, don't lose hope. This is our parak. This is the theme of the parak. So <laughs> we have a case here of somebody who didn't prepare an Erev Tavshilin. And the question is, what can he do? Now, we've seen this kind of case even just yesterday, right, in terms of somebody who was, you know, once forgot and then became negligent. So the question is, what is the case here? You know, once we have somebody who, again, who didn't prepare the Erev Tavshilin, can he then prepare, can he cook food or or is he prohibited from doing so? Um, is he prohibited from doing the labor, but the food that he's made is not prohibited. So the, the question of how far are we going to hold it against him, the fact that he didn't set up the Erev. So the Gemara asks, what's the difference? What's the halachic difference between saying that you're going to ne'asar, um, his acts versus his flower. What does this mean? What's the practical difference? Can he transfer ownership of his flower to somebody else? Meaning, is it considered, for lack of a better word, is it considered kosher, right? Even though maybe you're not going to take it from his hands or you're not going to sit at his table. If you say that both he and his flower are prohibited, then you have to, um, you know, bestow the flower on somebody else for it to be able to be used. Right? Isn't it the case that if you if you say that his flower is still going to be acceptable, even though he himself is is a problem, you can't you use the labor of his hands per se. Then perhaps that should be fine. Right, and so the Gemara says, "Well, then, what's the halacha? My, it's a very simple. My, what are we doing here? What's the psaq? So the Gemara answers, "Tashma, come and learn. Come in here. Somebody who did not set up an erev tavshilin cannot bake or cook." Or or use a crockpot, meaning yet to me it is a different kind of cooking, really. Um, not for himself and not for others. And other people aren't supposed to be baking or cooking on his behalf for him, meaning it's a big penalty according to this piece of the Gemara. What's he supposed to do? So this seems to contradict the statement that we just said, but it says they take his flower, which says, his flower is not prohibited, right? They take his flower. Uh, I'm sorry, it is prohibited for him. Others can take it. So he he transfers his flower to the other people. They can bake and cook for him with that flower that had originated with him. Shmamina, hun asar, asar, shmamina. And that answers the question, meaning they're both prohibited, but there's a workaround in terms of we're not going to leave him not eating over Yantif. Ibailahu, we have got another question posed. Avarv afa mai. What if he didn't make an Erev Tavshilin, but he also did bake? Now what do you do with that food? 
What's he supposed to do if he didn't have an Erev Tavshilin? So this second dilemma basically repeats the conclusion of the first dilemma, you know, in a in a succinct manner to say that if you didn't prepare your Erev Tavshilin, then you have to transfer your food to somebody else and that person can then do the preparation that they have set up the Erev Tavshilin. Again, we're talking about preparing on Yantif for Shabbat. Um, and then the Gemara continues, So then really maybe what we should say, maybe the Gemara should say, I'm sorry, the Mishnah, if it is so, right, that the person baked, he did this baking without having set up an area of Tavshilin, maybe we should just have the Brita say, the one who transgresses, right, and then bakes, you can eat the bread. Amar of Adabar Matna, Tana Takanta de Hetera Katane, Takanta de Isure Lo Katana, Katane. So, meaning one who has transgressed, meaning you've, you've baked even though you weren't supposed to. And the point being that it's a permitted to eat the bread, Rav Adabar Matna says you can't prove that, right? The fact that you're saying that this is permissible, the fact that you want this to be the, the text, does not necessarily mean that you can do this. You don't just takanta, you don't have a remedy from a prohibited action. I mean, you don't say, oh, you did the wrong thing, so now we're going to let you, you know, eat it anyway. Um, the Gemara does not like this approach. And I would say that what we see here is a much harsher approach to those who forget an air of tafshilin. Um, and unless there's some point somewhere else that we haven't seen here in the halacha that we're not talking about somebody who forgot and lives in a community where you can rely on somebody else, which seems to be the default anyway. But rather, maybe we're talking here about somebody who, you know, intentionally, um, you know, refused to set up an area of Tafshilin, which then I would understand a little bit better the the harshness here and the, you know, the the hoops that the Gemara makes uh, this guy jump through to make sure that he can have food on Yantif. On the other hand, of course, why would he care about all those hoops if really he didn't care about the area of Tafshilin to begin with? I find this Gemara to be a little bit difficult. Yeah, I hear what you're saying, because in other words, how could you sort of forget because you needed to be careful? But I think the Gemara's emphasis here is to be like, look, we know this is a loophole, but it's not a loophole to be treated lightly. Like you actually have to really do it. Okay, I hear that, because especially my comments about loopholes the other day, I think that, yes, I feel like there's a kind of a some people love loopholes and some people have a really strong knee jerk aversion to loopholes. Um Okay, I want to just continue. There's a Mishnah at the very end of the daf. And the Gemara on this Mishnah is really on the next daf, but the Mishnah is here. So we're just going to quickly read it. So if Yantif happens Saturday night, which is going to happen later this year, So the question is, you know, what can you do to purify yourself, right? Um, going into Shabbat. The idea here is matablin, um, sorry, matbilin is about um, dunking in a mikvah, right? So Beit Shammai says you can, everything can be dunked before Shabbat, you know, even per, in preparing for, for Yantif. And Beit Hillel says, you do those kalim, you do any, prepare any um, vessels, pots, pans, whatever, whatever you might need to do tefillah on uh, before Shabbat, you know, in honor of Anyantif also, but Adam Bishabat, the person himself, could go and immerse on Shabbat. This is already a whole new area of halacha in terms of, 
you know, the details of what does it mean to take to immerse on Shabbat. But the idea is that one who needs to, and especially if you're thinking about uh, a, um, an era where there was Kachim, so that you well might need to immerse on Shabbat, then that would be, according to Beit Hill, that would be acceptable. Beit Shammai wants you to prepare a little bit further in advance. That should not surprise us. Both of them agree, both Beit Shammai and Beit Hill agree that you could bring the water, right? The water is not Tahor water. It is impure water. You could bring the impure water to come in contact with the Tahor water, with the pure water. You know, if that happens in the stone vessels that you're trying to purify the water, that would be fine. But you still are not going to go dunk in this water that has a mix now of the impure water and the pure water. I keep saying this incorrectly, I'm sorry. So we say that you can immerse, you know, on the festival itself from one principle to the next, from one group to another. And then basically all of this is going to end up being explained in the Gemara. Because as I said, this is a whole new domain of halacha and it does need unpacking. Yes, and tomorrow's staff is going to primarily deal with this this issue of immersing a kli on Shabbat. Well, that's our top discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend e. Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this staff on our Talking Talent Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.